0: If you'd just like to turn with me to Luke 18, Luke chapter 18, I believe that uh, we've got a, a short series that we're going to start on prayer. Uh, it's kind of not called that. Uh, uh, we really believe that this uh, is something to do with God's supreme court. Uh, that's kind of uh, the, the phrase that I've just had in my heart and it's interesting how in the UK. Uh, we've changed uh, the, the words that have been used over our uh, nation, uh, over the law system. Uh, the different systems now, instead of the High Court and the House of Lords being the Supreme Court, it's now actually called the Supreme Court. It's not just the Americans that uh, have that term, the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court is where every decision gets changed, ratified, uh, um, Brought into full law. It's the, it's the place of ultimate appeal. It's the place where everything is settled and finished. And uh, so this series, I really believe that uh, God wants to unpack some stuff for us today. And we're going to continue over the next couple of weeks. So Luke 18, uh, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't come and wear me out. So I just want to, I just believe that God wants us to to look at this story a little bit and just kind of pick up some stuff. So Jesus regularly taught in parables. You know, a parable is just an everyday story, but it's got a hidden meaning. Yeah? There's nothing very complicated about a parable. It's something plain and obvious, but it's not. It's called a secret, isn't it? That's what Pastor Colin talked about. He talked about the secrets of the kingdom something that's true that you don't yet know about. It's just simple. Simple things, yeah? Okay, so something true. And that the listeners were supposed to find out for themselves, either by asking questions or by thinking about it. Yeah, that's a parable. You're supposed to think about what's there. And each parable uh, generally has one main theme. Sometimes people try to find multiple ideas, but actually for each one there's a main theme. And if you stick with that, you're probably okay. If you start bringing in too many uh, extra things, you're going to get yourself in problems. This parable is really nice and easy. Jesus told us what it's about. The actual Bible tells us that what this parable is about, is about prayer. Yes. It's nice and simple. It says it in black and white on the page. This parable is about prayer and that we should always pray and not give up. So when you read it, you should read what comes next through that filter. Yeah, It's about prayer. It's not about justice as such. It's supposed to give you some idea of how to think because what happens next is simple. He used it to show the disciples there's two things. One, not give up on prayer. And two, not lose heart, depending which translation you're looking at. NIV says not give up. The New King James says lose heart. So there's something about prayer that God wants us to get hold of today. You know, the word is here for us to grab hold of it practically today. It's not just there as just a nice idea. It's there because God wants it to become life to us today. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today bringing life and light understanding, revelation, a change to our behavior and our thinking. I thank you, Lord. It encourages us, it sparks our faith, and it causes us to walk in victory. And we thank you for that word. And we open our hearts to your word today that we might live that victorious life that you've called us to and see our prayers answered. Amen. All right, so. As three people involved. This, this is really deep. There's a widow. So what do we know about this widow? She's desperate. She's persistent. Something's gone wrong. Something's not quite in the right place as far as she's concerned with life. Yeah? Or maybe some of us feel a little bit that way. So... But we also know that there's, she's a widow, so there's no one to plead for her, no husband to stand with her and give her voice in the society. In that society, the Jewish society, it was the men that had the voice. Women needed someone who would then act on their behalf. Usually they weren't able to own properties in the same way, and uh, certainly in the UK we saw that. You only have to watch Downton Abbey to see it wasn't that long ago that even the UK women couldn't own property. Uh, So she had no power to get justice for herself. Just as we're reading through it, we need to kind of just look at the obvious, yeah? It's, It's nothing very complicated here, nothing very spiritual in these comments. The judge... It's quite clear, he's a a man of obvious power. Yeah? Uh, You only go to someone to get justice if they've got the ability to bring it into place. So it's not just uh, going and uh, getting anybody to try and do something. This is someone who has the ability, the power, the authority to bring some change to this woman's circumstance. Yeah? But he doesn't care. He doesn't care about anybody. He's actually a judge for his own sake. He doesn't care about God, and he doesn't care about people. This's not a good judge, is it? You know, actually... In Deuteronomy 16, we were told, uh, Israel was told, to go and appoint judges who would judge with the fear of the Lord on behalf of the poor, the needy, the fatherless, the widows. That's what the judges were appointed for. So here we see a judge appointed to do good, completely failing, just doing it for his own sake. So, just, you know, he doesn't fear or revere God, yet it's supposed to be a nation that reveres God. So, he's, he represents the complete opposite of what the nation represents. Huh? I think some of us could say that about some of our modern politicians or judges, uh, and we'd be wrong, because we'd be judging them. oh, oh. That's a bit interesting, isn't it? Anyway, let's not go too far. But that, no respect or consideration for others. So it doesn't say that he is someone who takes bribes. It doesn't say he's corrupt. It just says that he's not someone who's bothered about people. He doesn't have compassion. Yeah? Sometimes you've got to look at you know, what it does say and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he's corrupt. He doesn't say that he takes bribes. Just he is an unjust judge. And then it's the third person is kind of mentioned in in passing, but really um, not a lot said about them. We just know that there's an adversary. There's some unnamed person that has power over this widow, someone that she is unable to resist. She has no power to stop them doing what they're doing. She needs someone else to stand in the gap, to bring some change. And the unjust judge refuses to even consider the case. It's not that he's done a ruling even. He isn't even interested in listening. Rejected. There's no compassion, there's no interest. But the widow's persistence pays off. And it's interesting, the... uh, when they, that word wearing out that is used, if you look at it in the Greek, it, it's, it's someone who's boxing you that actually jabs you under the eye repeatedly, so much so that you start to get blinded. There you go. In other words, it hurts. It, you know, with a jab, a boxer jabs repeatedly, is, isn't a knockout blow, but it really damages and brings change to what the other person's able to do back. So, a boxer, they, they're constantly jabbing and then they swing the upper cup or the, the, the right hook or whatever to try and knock the person out. It sets up for the killer blow. So, this widow, her persistence set up the victory. Now, sometimes we need to look at some of these words and think, okay, there's some more substance here than just wear me out. I don't know about you, but that wear me out, I remember as a a puppet, that's about wear me out. It's something about a beating, a spanking, or punishment to children. So, uh, a completely different mindset to wear you out. Clearly, this is a genuine case But it must have been not in the judge's interests, or his remit, or he just wasn't interested in getting involved, but there's clearly a genuine case, because as soon as he considers it, he's an unjust judge who doesn't just give a, a declaration that can be overturned, but obviously brings justice. So she had a valid case, but had no one to stand in the gap for her. This is Jesus, all this stuff, is Jesus is saying, is a key part of prayer. Because I think sometimes we we don't kind of think of prayer like this. But Jesus clearly gives us another clue. He says, God is not like the unjust judge. So this is a metaphor. A comparison has been made, that's what a metaphor means, with something that is not similar in order to bring a highlight to something. Usually you say something is similar so that you get an idea. So when it says in, in uh, John uh, 6, uh, verse 48, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he doesn't mean that he's a piece of bread that you eat. In John uh, uh, eight verse 12 he says, "I'm the light of the world. he doesn't mean I'm a light bulb." It's trying to give something of an idea of the character or nature in a way that you can recognize even though it's not even vaguely similar. Yeah So this unjust judge in no. Way represents the Father. Jesus is not a piece of bread, he's not a light bulb. He brings light, he brings substance and words that bring life and are effectively food, but he is not a piece of bread or a light bulb. So the just king. The Father, the Heavenly Father, the Judge of all, is not even vaguely like an unjust judge, other than he gives just judgments. He brings justice, yeah? So everything else that you think about this judge is not how we are to approach God in prayer. It's important that we think. Because otherwise, we will approach God on the basis that we are going to knock on heaven's door to open something up that God doesn't want to listen to our case. And many people, that's the problem, they think there is a closed door of heaven that they are battering their head against as they pray that there's no one listening, no one interested. Because they've read this and they've thought, that's prayer. And we need to see some different things. Because if it's not what the judge is really like, then that means there are some other things that we should see in there that he is like. If he is saying that's not how God is, then we need to find what is in there. Jesus actually gives us a couple of clues. What does he say? He says his chosen ones. So this is verse 7. His chosen ones. So what's that speaking about? It's speaking about relationship. Not a widow going to a judge where there's no relationship, no interest, no concern. This is the judge that we are coming to that we have a relationship with, his chosen ones. We are his chosen ones. We are people that he is actually concerned about from the start. When you begin to pray, you're on a completely different starting point. He chose you. You didn't choose him. That's even more exciting. It's not, like we chose God, therefore, come on, God, you've got to do, we chose you. It's like picking, you know, Man United and going, come on. And then when they don't win, let's go somewhere else. No, no, no. It's the United players that have been picked for the squad by the manager. God chose us. That when we pray, some stuff's going to happen. When you pray, God plans for things to change. He chose you so that you would know when you pray, something's going to happen. You're a chosen one. Tell your neighbor, I've been chosen. That means my prayer is going to work. And it says that they will get justice and they'll get it quickly. So it's not going to be five years of prayer that's going to get you an answer. Hey. It's not going to be 50 days of praying and fasting that's going to get you the answer. There is a judge who is just, who has chosen you, so he's picked your case. This judge has selected your case and it's on his agenda before you even prayed hey, this judge is on our side. This judge is a just judge, though. You see, it's not a judge that is, uh, give him a a backhander, a a bribe who's going to give you what you want. This is the just judge who... Knows all things. Who knows our hearts even better than we know them ourselves. Who wants to give justice? Yeah? Just this is this is all just the basic stuff. There's nothing very special in what I'm preaching about so far. There's gonna be. So it says. His people cry out to him. His chosen ones cry out. So there's got to be some wholehearted, determined action on our behalf. Not a bunch of complaints. You see, some people, they moan and complain about the situation. They never actually tell God what they want. And they wonder, and they think, God's not interested. And he's going, plead. The case. Give me something to work with. All the time you whinge and complain, I am just sat there inactive. If my people will humble themselves and pray. We've read this in other occasions, but it says, not complaints, but petitions. Present your prayers and requests. With thanksgiving, that's Philippians 4. Present them with thanksgiving. So there's something about the way we've got to do this that has got to change. Because if the unjust judge is just about persistence, but the just judge has a complete different starting point, then it's not just about persistence. Persistence. In fact, Jesus also said, you will not be heard for your many words. So this is clearly not just a case of coming before him day after day, praying the same thing again and again. Because that would be a contradiction. Jesus isn't schizophrenic. He doesn't have one moment, one idea, and the next minute something completely different. He speaks the truth all the time. So this... Pressing in, this crying out, this wholeheartedness, actually must be about us. Because it says that he will give justice and quickly. So the persistence part must have something to do with us, not him. But it also says they're going to get a quick response. So if you're struggling in an area of prayer that you're not really seeing a quick response, something's wrong. Well, it has to be us, not God. Because he says how to come to him. He explains what to do in the scriptures very clearly on many occasions. So therefore there's something we have to start to understand and bring about some changes ourselves. What does it mean? Well, it means that crying out this whole heart has got to be some faith. Okay? It says, because that's what he says. Next, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, one of the big issues about this prayer has got to be it's got to start from faith. Faith based upon a relationship. Understanding that God is already on our side, or rather wants us on his side, actually. Because I think sometimes we kind of try to control God to do things, when actually we're on the wrong side. And it requires us to understand God's true nature. We've quoted Romans 10 on many occasions If you just turn to Romans 10, uh, verse 9, it's, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. So there's a declaration there about God's part and our part. You've got to believe that God raised him from the dead. Your salvation is not Jesus died for me. Your salvation is God raised him from the dead because he died for me. And it's a belief in your heart and a confession with your mouth. So two things have got to happen. Genuine belief, accurate speech. In fact, actually, as we look at Romans 10... That's what it starts off in verse 1 and 2 about. It actually talks about the kind of faith, the kind of relationship. Particularly starting verse 2 and 3. This, this is the God's supreme court, really. There has to be knowledge. There has to be zeal based on knowledge. And since they did not know the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own. And this is the problem in many court cases. People don't have all the facts. They don't really know what's going on in the process. And wonder why our law courts give wrong results. And unfortunately, some Christians have fallen foul of it. And we wonder if some of the rules have been changed on us. And actually... We can win, we just need to have the facts right. We need to understand the laws and and then maybe there's a few times we just got to go to prison. Because actually we need to stand up for something that God says rather than what the law says. But that should be rare in our country. So it talks about faith must be based on accurate knowledge, not just knowledge. See, we've just read this proverb, and just by getting a few basics in place, as I was looking at it, I've changed some thinking. Hopefully you have too. I mean, I've heard stuff on this, I wasn't that far off, but there were some things I've noticed in there that are actually important for us that I'm just going to bring out. But it, also accurate knowledge of what? God's... Character. Well, that's verse 17. Because faith can only come from the word of God. Faith comes from the hearing and hearing the word. You cannot get faith because of me teaching you. The faith comes because I show you in the word... Something of God's promises and his character and nature and you go, that's true. And you put your trust in what the word says, not what I teach. Hopefully I teach something that helps that rather than hindering it. And sometimes I deliberately throw wrong words in just to make sure you're actually listening. But I don't try to trip you up. I try to bring encouragement, strengthening, correcting, rebuking. Because that's what the Bible tells me. The Word of God says that I'm to do. I'm to rebuke, chastise, adjust. Those don't sound very nice words. That's my job as far as the Bible goes. Not just me being obnoxious. But what else do we see in this parable? See, we've talked about these different people. The woman says, grant me justice against my adversary. Justice. Uh, the word ekdiko. There you go. That's all, that's my uh, dictionary tells me. It means vindicate, retaliate, punish and revenge me on my adversary. Vindicate is about uh, being proved that you were right or re-establishing reputation as well as bringing further. Retaliate means actually something's been done and there's got to be a change, a complete reversal and actually the right person being put in charge. Yeah? That's, that's what retaliate means, it? To hit back. To hit back in a right way, not the wrong way. But also involves punishment and revenge. The word adversary, I found when I was looking at this, I thought, ah, there really is some stuff in here that I've been missing and not been paying attention to. Because the word adversary is... Antidecos, which is an opponent in a lawsuit, specifically Satan. Oh, we've just missed the obvious. There was a demonic assignment against this woman, and that's why she was pleading for help. There are demonic assignments against folk in this congregation, and you are not getting the breakthroughs because you're not even recognizing the demonic attack. There are things here that we need to take a hold of. My my daughter, uh, she rang the other day. She was planning her workloads, and she was just talking it through with us. And and the last thing she said on the phone call was, I really need to get on. I've got all these things to do. I need no distractions. Two hours later, she's in tears. She's had an awful phone call and some stuff's been said, good friends, said some daft stuff and she's not done a single bit of work. Now, so we then have to spend the next hour counseling, helping, praying with, doing the right things. The issue was she never prayed. She never actually took some steps to protect herself from demonic attack. You see, demonic attack comes through friends, family. It comes through people not thinking about what they're actually saying. Sometimes it's your best friends are your worst enemies because they know exactly how to hurt you and say the stupidest of things. This isn't really about my daughter, you understand. This is about how life happens. If our mouth is not under the control of the Holy Spirit, it will be under the control of a demon. You either submit to the Spirit or you are in the flesh. You will either use your mouth for good or for evil. There isn't an in between. So if you are not using your mouth according to what God is saying, young, old, each one of us, if our words are not God-inspired, infused with love words, they are hate-filled words. There is no in-between. See, it's an adversary, It's, it's an opponent in a lawsuit. This is very interesting. This picture, the lawsuit, this is why I really felt that this, this uh series should really be the law court of heaven. We're gonna look at some of the things that God has said, appointed, and put into place. You see, this is no ordinary court case. See, Satan, the word we read is if you look in Luke 13, 16, there's a woman has been bound by Satan, for 18 years. And Jesus says, why should that be the case? In other words, the widow, this woman, came to the just judge and got instant release. 18 years of problems, but as soon as she brought her case before the just judge, instant answer. There are situations that we need to come before God, the just judge, knowing if we will actually pray about these things, he will give us justice. He will give us the solutions and the breakthroughs. But until you actually pray about these things, until you actually get hold of what God has said, you are not going to get an answer. I was... Praying about the church finances this week. And uh, we got a bill. We got some bills, as, as always. And one was a slightly surprising. We for, kind of forgot about it. Okay. So I laid them before the Lord. And I went, Lord, these bills are because we are reaching these people. And I brought in a reminder of why we are doing what we're doing. So these bills are not actually my bills, they're his bills. If he said it, then it's him who supplies, not me or you. I mean, he might use us to be the source, but he doesn't go to us. I don't go to you, sorry. I go to the Lord and I look to him to speak to someone. And I prayed. I didn't just moan and complain. But I know how many times I have moaned and complained. And every time I've moaned and complained, guess what happens? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Until I pray, nothing changes. There's work situations, there's family situations. You're whinging, moaning, and complaining, and God says, shut up. That's a word from God, by the way. <laughs> I'm reading through Ezekiel, and you look at the language he uses there. He is offensive. He's not very gentlemanly at at times about the language he uses. So when I say shut up, I think that's the gentle version from the Lord. You know, this this is what he said to the disciples in the boat. You have little faith. Stop. And a storm. (sniffs) Ended. There are some situations that we are just not recognizing what actually is against us. And I know I'm going to have to push into this next week because of time. But the accuser, his name is Satan. That's what his word means. Actually, his name is a description rather than a name. Satan just means accuser. Diablos is also used, and that is the false accuser, the slanderer. There are situations going on in your and my life that God is saying, You are listening to the wrong voice. He is accusing you, slandering you, and until you actually stop agreeing with Him, you're going to get no victory. You are complaining as if there is no judge listening. And the judge is just sitting there going, when are you going to turn to me? Because I've chosen you. Now we're going to look into this, but I just actually believe that this is our starting point. And this actually goes on to not guilty. Uh, 1 Peter 5 says about being alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, the accuser, the slanderer, the false accuser, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. If you don't resist, you don't give the judge anything to work with. All the time you're passive. All the time you're Worried all the time, you're speaking doubt and frustration. You stop the greatest miracle that can happen, which is the Advocate, and we're going to look at that next week. We're just going to ask you to take some time. Maybe there's some situations right now that actually the Accuser has been speaking about. Maybe it's, hey, maybe it's leadership in the church. Someone's failed you. Maybe they didn't do something they could have done or should have done. Maybe it was even me. Maybe there's a a job promotion that you thought you were going to get. Maybe there's family relationships and you just, why did someone say all that kind of rubbish? Just, it's hurtful. And God right now wants you to repent and stop whinging about the situation and stand and give it to him in prayer. To just respond to his voice, to allow God in on your situation. And I just believe that there's a response part before we get into all the victory parts over these next couple of weeks. You're going to start to see a change. and It starts with standing today, responding to God, and putting it in his hands. Just reaching out your hands as if you're putting it, just releasing it. And I think God is just actually saying to some folks, actually, you've got to dare This is the step of faith part. Even if someone looks at you, you're going to go, I don't care. I'm I'm putting this situation in your hands. I'm asking you, Father, for your forgiveness because I have allowed situation to run me rather than remembering I have a relationship with you. Just let God in if you've been saying this is unfair, I thought you were the just judge, you need to repent today and say, Father, forgive me. I've thought wrong about you. I've spoken wrongly about you. I've said prayer doesn't work. God doesn't want me. He doesn't listen to me. And today, I ask you to forgive me For speaking such bad words. I recognize, Jesus, the issue's been me. I have not trusted you. I have spoken unworthy words. And I ask you to forgive me. And I break the power of those words. I renounce those words in Jesus' name. I renounce those words. I speak now. And put my trust in you, Jesus. Because you say whoever puts their trust in you will never be put to shame. So today, I'm placing myself back in your hands, Lord. I know that you're going to lead me into victory. That you have made me an overcomer. And I thank you, Jesus. For the work that you're going to do in me and through me. I want you to get specific. Hand some things to the Lord and start naming him before him. Start naming those situations. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it has been exams and job issues. Maybe it's actually been about the call of God on your life and not seeing those things coming about. And all the time you've whinged and complained about others, all the time you've whinged and complained about God, God's been silent. Not because he doesn't care, but because you have stopped him from working. And Jesus is right now just bringing forgiveness, just touching lives, touching lives, forgiveness. He is not an unjust judge. He is the just judge who has chosen you and says if you cry out to him, you will get justice and you will get it swiftly. Those who stand in faith will receive their answer. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you right now. I take authority over demonic assignments that have been appointed to people's lives. Sickness. You demon of infirmity and disease, I command you, get out of here. You demons of rejection and despair, get out of here. You have no place You divisive spirits, I say, get out of here, you unclean spirits. Get out of here. We just bring ourselves in submission to the Father today. Heavenly Father, we choose Jesus. We choose to submit to your rule and your right judgments We thank you today for justice and swift answers. We bless you.